on 1015 WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to our show State Representative Mindy Dom, who serves in the Massachusetts House of Representatives. She has served there since 2019, where she represents the 3rd Hampshire District, which is, well, for the, at least for still, uh, consists of uh, Amherst, Pelham, and the 1st Precinct in Granby. So, Representative Dom, so much to ask you about. I'd like to start with some good news, because there's... Goodness knows there's a lot of lousy news. Um, and I think on the whole, the Massachusetts House and Senate um, can take some pride in having passed the Votes Act, which the governor has now signed. It's not a perfect bill. It doesn't include same-day registration, for example. But it does have a number of provisions that expand and guarantee the right to vote in Massachusetts. So please tell us about that. Oh. I think overall this, good morning, Bill. It's good to see you in um, Skype land. Um, I think overall, this is a very good bill. It makes mail-in voting permanent in all elections, which is great because that increases access, particularly for people who may not be able to get to the polls for a variety of reasons. Um, it also expands um, voter education and voter access to voters who may be incarcerated, another really good piece. It makes early voting permanent and increases it. And it also, although it doesn't do same-day registration, which I support and support it on the floor of the House, um, it does reduce the time. I want to get this right. It increases the time that people have to register before an election. So you it can cuts register down. up till ten days before, as I understand right, it. Right, up to ten days before. And, and it has Quite been frankly, twenty. Has been twenty. It has been 20 in the past, which, when you think about it, is kind of ridiculous, particularly for the Valley, right? Primaries are usually in early September, right after Labor Day. 20 days puts you at the beginning of August. Nobody's around. Um, so 10 days is better. It's not perfect. So we have some work to do. We have to continue to try to educate our colleagues as to why same-day registration is important. Um, in my district, it's particularly important. People move into the area at the end of August with after the 10-day cutoff traditionally. And they're, they'll be prevented from voting um, from their address in Amherst in the primary, particularly this year, Let's because the primary is September 6th. Um, it's a real, it's, it's not good for people who are um, moving around for work or for studying. So it's not good for students, but it's also not good for faculty and for other people who are associated with places like college campuses, which work on a semester basis that starts in September. Um, but I think it's always good to have something to work on. It's always good to keep trying to push that needle. And it's such an overall terrific bill that I'm going to try hard not to get too sad about same-day registration and help students this year work to try to make that happen. Representative Dom, one of the aspects of the bill that I think is important is that the early voting is an absent, absent, essentially absentee voting, is no excuse yep. absentee voting. I you can it. just go yes. get your ballot or have it sent to you, mail it in or drop it off. Fantastic. It's such a good thing, Bill. When I was working on campaigns, for example, Maura Healy or Elizabeth Warren, a lot of the volunteers in those campaigns, some of whom were seniors, and they would want to go get an absentee ballot um, because on election day, they wanted to be working on election day or campaigning on election day. And so, but that is not an, a legitimate excuse, according to Massachusetts law, prior to the Votes Act. You either had to be sick or be out of town. And these folks didn't feel comfortable saying, I'm going to be out of town or I may be out of town. They told the truth. They said, I'm going to be working on a campaign, which was not by law a credible excuse. So if you had a clerk who was sticking to the law, you might not get an absentee ballot. No excuse absent, um, absentee um, voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think I agree with you, is a huge advance and a really wonderful way to show voters we support you, we trust you. So spend one more minute on this with us, please. 
How will it work as a practical matter? I decide I want to vote uh, as soon as I can. Uh, what do I need to do? Do I need to send a request in to be sent a ballot? Will, will I be sent a ballot? Um, do I have to? If you want to do mail-in voting, you have to um, send in an, an application to ask for it. If you remember during COVID, they sent everybody sort of an application to fill out. I don't know if that's going to be happening in this election, which is not really post COVID, but these provisions are not looked at as just COVID provisions because they'll, you know, pass, they're permanent. Um, but people will have to apply for a mail-in ballot. The early voting is a little different because some places are gonna have in-person early voting where you can go and actually vote in person, either at the clerk's office or at specific polling places and still not need an excuse. Um, and so there's two ways of doing it, either in person physically or mail-in voting. And the mail-in voting will need an application. Um, I just posted something, I don't have it right here, but I can look for it before the end of our conversation with the new deadlines of by what date do people have to apply for a mail-in ballot in order to secure one to be able to vote in the primary. I'll try to dig that up for you. And if we're, say we don't want to, or have not focused on voting by mail, we'll be able to go in some to the clerk's office some days before yes. the election and vote? Is there a stipulation yes. on how many days of voting there will um, be? There is a um, specific early voting days. Hold on one second. I'm going to try and dig up um, the schedule that I just posted because I think that the new deadlines are really important for people to know about so that they can, in fact, you know, kind of pay attention to them and take advantage of them in some way. So right. hold on one second. Right. I'm really sorry no, that, to do I, this. I, okay, I, I got it. Okay. Okay, so for the primary day, which is Tuesday, September 6th, early voting, which can be in person, will be August 27th to September 2nd. So if you want to vote in person, but you can't do it on September 6th for whatever reason, or you want to make sure you do it and get it done and you don't want to wait until September 6th, you can vote August 27th to September 2nd. The vote by mail application deadline is for that election is August 29th. So you'll be able to apply online. Um, you'll also be able to apply in person at your clerk's office, but you have to do it by August 29th so that they can get you the, the ballot so that you can vote on time. Um, and the voter registration deadline for the September election, I hope these aren't just too many dates, but is August 27th. Um, I just posted this on my Facebook page, and I can also send it to you if you'd like, um, so you can post it on the radio station. I think it's really important because the deadlines have changed, and it's supposed to they changed to make it better for voters. So we need to be able to take advantage of it. Well, th there was a lot of fighting about this bill. I guess uh, it's worth noting that same-day registration is the law in, in any number of states. Uh, because of advances in technology, it can be made safe and secure. Uh, but it didn't gain traction. It was not part of the final Bill Hill. Here, can you give us any words of wisdom as to why not? Well, I think, actually, I think it did gain traction. It just wasn't successful this year, which is why I'm hopeful that we can revisit it. Um, there were a bunch of amendments that were put on the Votes Act, and there were three amendments that were actually filed to sort of implement. Maybe I shouldn't be trying to share her Facebook post while she's on the same computer that I've got her on <laughs> Skype. Same day registration for election. <laughs> Amendments sort of in the hopper, even though they should, they, they could have been withdrawn. Um, uh, as a result of that, um, an amendment was changed and redrawn to basically kill election day registration. And that amendment passed, but not by much. It was like 90 something to 60 something, which is not um, a consensus in my opinion. And so we have an opportunity, I think, in the legislature, especially in the House, to educate our colleagues as to why this is important and why it's important to our constituents and why it's important for Massachusetts. If we're saying we're leading against voter suppression, we're leading to make sure voters have access, same-day registration is really critical. You know, we had a couple of days of same-day registration during COVID because the early voting period in person overlapped with the registration period for a couple of days. And people actually could go to the polls to vote and register at the same time. And that worked out well. 
But I'll tell you something, Bill. I'm, I was upset, and I hope this doesn't get too much in the weeds in terms of inside baseball, but I was upset with the Secretary of State after the Votes Act, um, the first time we voted on it. The amendment that passed, which I did not support, called for the Secretary of State to do a study, and we talked about this, I think, on an earlier show, um, to do a study of the economic impact on clerks to have same-day registration. And that passed. That's the, that's the amendment that passed 90-something to 60-something. Um, and, and in fact, that killed same-day registration in this legislation. And after the bill passed in total, the Secretary of State was asked if he was going to do the study. And he was like, I don't need to do the study. We already know there's no impact. And that was like in January. Meanwhile, the conference committee just came out in June with the final bill. So he could have actually started the study as soon as the bill passed and called us on our stuff, you know, called us, called the house and said, okay, you want a study? Here's a study. He had five months to do it and he failed to do it. And I think um, if he had done that, maybe the conference committee would have been convinced otherwise. We are speaking with State Representative Mindy Dom. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about East-West Rail, which seems to be really coming close to being coming a reality. We're going to talk about the governor's race and the lieutenant governor's race and the Supreme Court. We have lots to talk about, and we'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Can't be no friend of mine. Can't be no friend of mine. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Your weed eater. We mean weed whacker, but weed eater fits better in this ad. Makes life simpler. Well, now the mortgage eater from Franklin First does that as well. Franklin First reintroduces the mortgage eater loan. The loan that pays off your first mortgage or works as a second mortgage to give you financial flexibility. Mortgage eater loans start at five-year terms and have no closing costs. So visit franklinfirst.org, get all the details, and apply online. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, equal housing lender. Saluting our community's first responders today and every day. Greenfield Fire Chief Bob Strayon on his crew's tireless service and their professionalism and resiliency shown during COVID. Every day is a constant threat of becoming exposed or getting ill from the virus. We take our precautions when we interact with the public, especially on medical calls. We use our proper protective equipment. Um, I just commend them for the efforts that they've put from day one before the pandemic, starting to recover from the pandemic. The fire department, especially the firefighters. They stand ready for any challenge that comes their way, and uh, they've done a great job, and they will continue to do a great job to keep the community safe. We're grateful for our first responders, and so are our sponsors. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. Everyone at Lundgren Honda knows our first responders give so much to our community, so now they want to give back to them. In appreciation for their service and dedication, local first responders are invited to LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com's homepage for details on an exclusive offer. Thank you for keeping our communities safe. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
Oh, come on, play some more. <laughs> First band I ever saw live. And we are playing this. Monty is playing this because I want to ask State Representative Mindy Dom about East-West Rail, which got a big push forward this past week. So tell us what happened. Well, it was great. Yesterday, the House passed a transportation bond bill of like over $11 billion. And in that bond bill is $250 million specifically to seed the effort to enhance, improve, expand, increase, develop, create, all these great verbs, Western Massachusetts passenger rail service, including West East service. So this is sort of the legislature's um, kind of sign that we are putting some skin in the game and some money down on it. It also includes a commission that has a very tight time frame. Um, it's like, you know, I think it's four months or something like that to come out with a report to identify recommendations for how to move forward, what kind of either an authority or some kind of infrastructure is needed to launch this effort, as well as to sequence the priority of projects. Well, let me so let me like, let me ask you this, because yeah. 250 million sounds like a lot of money until you actually get to what it would cost to create oh, a rail service uh, from Boston to Springfield North. Uh, to Northampton, Greenfield, and west to Pittsfield, I mean, which is a multi-billion dollar project. Mm -hmm. So what is $250 million? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, a million here and a million there, and after a while you're talking about real money. I understand that. But uh, what is it really going to get us? I think it's the idea is that it will get us to be able to leverage a lot more in federal dollars, ultimately. So we'll be able to get the billions that we need from um, – you know, the federal government's infrastructure program to be able to come in because we'll have the infrastructure in place, the programmatic and administrative infrastructure to be able to receive money with a plan for going out. I also think it's really critical because this is an effort that has been endorsed by both the House and the Senate leadership. And there has been, as you pointed out earlier, Bill, to me, you know, there was some press questioning whether or not the legislature was behind this. And this effort actually shows that the legislature is behind it. And so that kind of gives great momentum to our efforts going forward. Um, let let me know, ask you this. I have a specific question. Please. Do, do we know where the tracks are going to be? Or that's, <laughs> I mean, seriously. There is, there is some ideas about where those tracks should be. There's two different. So when we're talking about Western Massachusetts Rail Service, it's not just west-east, it's also within the region. So like the Knowledge Corridor, the piece that goes from Springfield to Greenfield, the New Berkshire Flyer Service that brings people from New York into Pittsfield. But when we talk about west-east, we're also talking about a southern route and a northern route. The southern route would extend the Worcester line to Worcester, Springfield, Pittsfield, and the northern route would, would extend a line that goes to Fitchburg, to Greenfield, and North Adams. And so there's a question as which one should go first? Should they both be going? These are the kinds of things that have to really be discussed because we want to maximize our dollars and also our efforts. People ask me, as the rep from Amherst, which one do I support, going um, the northern route or the southern route? And I say whichever route can go first. That's the route I support because we need to start moving on rail. Um, excuse the pun, and we need to start laying tracks, making sure that we actually have a priority for service so that passenger rail in Western Massachusetts becomes a reality. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, I know I'm asking you to speculate, but are we talking about five years, 10 years, 20 years? Mm, I don't think we're talking, you mean in terms of like when we start to see West When, when can I get on the train? I'm not sure. Or when can years. you get on the train? <laughs> I'm not sure five years. Ten years might be also very hopeful. I mean, these projects take a long time. So yeah. I say, um, in my lifetime, but I might not be. Able, I might not be using it as frequently as I would want. <laughs> um, so we'll see. You know, I mean, legislators out here. You know, we uh, we have a vested interest in getting this rail service because yeah. we're driving into Boston on a regular basis. Like many of our constituents, I have a lot of constituents who work in Boston on a daily basis. They're taking buses that often get into traffic. They're, you know, putting out fossil fuels. They're, it's the whole deal. It's climate, it's environment, it's transportation, it's economic development, it's workforce development. Um, so we need to get moving because it's gonna take a while. It takes a long time to make a railroad. Representative Dom, I'd like to turn to the politics of the state for a few minutes. 
there was a big development in the governor's race and the Democratic race. Uh, 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 Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz has uh, suspended. I, she's, she's, she's dropped out of the race, uh, which leaves uh, Maura Healy as the presumptive Democratic nominee for governor. I'd appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, and in addition, uh, given what happened at the Democratic convention and Adam Hines not making the 15 percent, just barely got about 12 and a half percent of the votes needed, 15 to be on the ballot. Um, a lot of local reps who had backed uh, 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 Adam Hines for lieutenant governor now, well, don't have uh, an endorsement, at least a public endorsement. I'd appreciate your telling us where you stand on the lieutenant governor's race as well. Sure, Bill. Um, I am a longtime strong supporter of Maura Healy for governor, um, and I believe that she'll make a fantastic governor. I think she's exactly what we need. Um, I know Sonia Chang-Diaz. I've worked with her in the state legislature. I have great respect for Senator Chang-Diaz. I think she's um, one of the smartest, fearless, persistent legislators in the building. Um, I think these decisions are really difficult, um, and I admire her for making this decision at this time because you know she's looked at whatever data she has and what the needs are for the state and what her needs are and what her goals are. Um, and I, of course, you have to stand back and be in awe and respect of somebody who makes this decision because for the past year, she's thrown herself into this race completely and done such a great job of really making some of the issues that are so close to her heart and her mind forefront in this race. So, you know, all the kudos to her and, you know, congratulations on really an incredible campaign. Um, I know that she's working, I think in her announcement, she said she was working on some down ballot races, and I think she means really down ballot, like I, the legislature level. So that will be interesting to see how that works. Um, I continue to support Maura Healy, and we'll be working very hard to make sure that people vote for her. She'll still be on the primary, even though um, there won't be a primary race. I, I want to make sure as a supporter of her that she wins big in September so that we can, you know, kick some deal you know what, in November, we have a Republican ticket in Massachusetts that's pretty Trumpian. So we need to make sure that we really- it's very Trumpian. Uh, Donald Trump has endorsed deal. I mean, he's yeah. my man, I mean, says Donald Trump. You want Donald Trump, Massachusetts? You got a Republican who will do that. Listen, I'd like to ask you this. Um, I appreciate what you said about Maura Healy. Where are you with regard to the lieutenant governor's race? So I endorsed Adam Hines, and I was disappointed with his convention um, response. At this point, I have not endorsed any other candidates. Um, so it, not just in that race, but in the other races. I did vote for other candidates because I was a delegate to the convention, but I haven't made a formal endorsement. I'm going to see what happens because, you know, there's a couple, there are a couple candidates who are extremely strong that speak to the needs of Western Massachusetts and to the state as a whole. Um, and I'd like to see how the race sort of shakes down without Adam in it. I really liked Adam. I think he's smart. He's got big heart, great ideas. Um, and so I'll take my time in making any endorsements, if at all, on the other races. Okay, one quick last question on that. Eric Lesser is known as, and I think appropriately, as the, the leading force for East-West Rail, uh, certainly one of them. And I'm wondering whether or not that affects your evaluation with regard to the lieutenant governor's race. I think that I want to I want to make sure that can all candidates are talking about Western Massachusetts and all candidates are making the case for why Western Massachusetts and every other area of the state cannot be left behind. We cannot only focus on inside 128 and think we're doing well for the state. Um, and Eric is certainly a leader and he's been, you know, since I've been in the legislature, he's been very generous to me as a colleague and as a, a um, a colleague within the delegation, within the Western Mass delegation. We've worked together on some things. We've worked together specifically on trying to make sure that the National Guard in Massachusetts did not follow the federal um, rule around banning transgender folks from service. Um, and so, you know, he, we've worked together really well. But I, to be honest with you, my goal is to make sure that every candidate is talking about West East Rail. Um, and every candidate is talking about economic development and funding for public higher education and climate and the issues that are concerned to my district, because I need everybody to be on board on that. I don't want any Democrat. I don't want there to be any daylight within the Democratic Party 
around those issues. I want everybody to be in support of you know, basic needs for folks, making sure that everybody has enough food to eat, that they have housing. Those are the issues that are important out here, and those are the issues that are important across the state. So I, I want to make sure everybody's talking about it. I have one last question for you because we do have to run in a minute or two. This is going to be a a month that will go down in history with regard to the decisions of the United States Supreme Court, which has already decided that the states can be forced to fund religious education. Uh, there was a decision about guns yesterday that says that um, uh, – open carry laws, uh, the prohibitions on them will now be struck down. Certainly the ones in Massachusetts are in great jeopardy. Uh, the court is expected to say yes, a coach leading a prayer on the 50-yard line in front of all of the uh, uh, fans and the families and essentially coercing the students. Although he said you don't have to come. I mean, that's going to be perfectly fine with the Supreme Court. They're probably going to overrule Roe versus Wade. They're going to abolish what is mischaracterized, but what we often call affirmative action. I mean, they're going to change America. It's going to be white. It's going to be Christian. It's going to be gun-toting. It's going to be really, really, I think, a different country very, very soon. And I'm wondering if you could tell us how we remain optimistic and what we do. Help. What <laughs> I love you, Bill. <laughs> um, so my one um, my one antidote for what's going on right now, and my one recommendation that I try to follow for myself, is to be active, is to fight back. I think we need to make sure that we do not allow our sort of despondency, and I share that with these decisions and with the impending decisions, to sap us of our energy to make change. In fact, we have to rest up because we're gonna have a busy time in the next couple of years. Um, I think that we, the only way for me to remain hopeful in this situation is to remain active and remain active in community with my neighbors, my friends, the people in the region. And that takes on a lot of different roles. So when it comes to the impending decision on abortion, which I think is likely going to have an impact on all things related to privacy, I really encourage people to look at the Beyond Roe Coalition website, um, which has sort of a roadmap for laws that Massachusetts could continue, could start to do to sort of beef up our fortress um, of safety and protection around abortion care and access. But I also think we need to make connections with groups that are working on privacy issues and supporting transgender youth, supporting transgender youth's families and their parents and gender-affirming care. Um, please get in touch with the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. They are taking uh, not only their role to make sure that people in Massachusetts are able to get an abortion regardless of ability to pay, but to help people who are coming from other states. If I can say one more thing, if I've got a little bit of time. Um, yesterday, I went to a celebration of life in Amherst for Susie Lowenstein, who passed away in January. And she was a founder of the Abortion Rights Fund in Western Massachusetts and a major abortion rights activist, not only in Massachusetts, but in California. And so hearing people talk about um, what it was like to fight for abortion rights in the 70s and then also in the 80s, it also gave me a little bit of hope. Like this is not, it may be unusual for those of us in the 2000s, you know, to think about this, but people have had this fight and this struggle for decades, years, centuries. Um, we're not alone. We just may feel alone. And so that's another reason to get together with friends and community and fight back is we'll be less alone. And being less alone gives you hope. So thank you. And I can't say enough about Susie Lowenstein's love and generosity to me and to our community. And I just want to shout her out because as we're waiting for this um, opinion, I want to recommit in her memory that we are going to fight back and that we're going to support the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Mass to do it. State Representative Mindy Dom, thank you for time with us every month and for your representation. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Good to see you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 
The U.S. Supreme Court ruled against New York State's proposed ban on carrying concealed handguns, striking a blow to gun violence advocates nationwide. Rena Schneur, co-leader of the gun advocacy group Moms Demand Action, says gun violence is at alarming levels in the United States as compared to other countries. People are killed by gun violence every day in the United States, and that's more than an order of magnitude higher than in any other developed country. The law would have made it so anyone carrying a concealed firearm in public needed proper cause for doing so. The Hamden District Attorney's Office is pushing back against a bill moving through Beacon Hill surrounding the state's laws on civil asset forfeiture. Civil asset forfeiture is a practice in which police departments can seize things like cash, vehicles, and other items if they think those items could be connected to a crime. Some legislators say they're worried that changes to the law would allow drug dealers to reclaim illicit profits. The Holyoke Police Department has seized nearly $1 million in cash from city residents over the last four years, according to an investigation by the Gazette. Barnes Air National Guard Base could become the new home for the Air Force's newest F-35A Lightning II fighter jets. The federal government is deciding between the Commonwealth, California, and Louisiana for the advanced military jets. Senator John Bielis tells 22 News this comes at a critical time, saying if we don't get the plane, we're no longer relevant in terms of the most up-to-date weaponry, up-to-date planes, and it would make us very vulnerable to have Barnes closed. A mix of sun and clouds with highs in the upper 70s to low 80s today. A slight chance for an afternoon sprinkle or shower. Otherwise, it will be a dry day. Lows around 60 tonight under partly cloudy skies. This weekend looks hot and dry with temperatures in the low 90s both Saturday and Sunday. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Reshivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Oficina de Planificación y Desarrollo Económico de la Ciudad de Holyoke y la Comisión de Planificación del Pioneer Valley serán coanfitriones de una reunión pública este miércoles 22 de junio entre las 3.30 y 7.30 de la tarde en el Holyoke Senior Center. Habrán presentaciones duplicadas a las 4 y 6 de la tarde sobre el Plan de Turismo Histórico y Cultural de Holyoke, el nuevo sitio web Explore Holyoke y el calendario de la comunidad de la ciudad, así como el proyecto Ciudad de Historias de la Sala de Historia de la Biblioteca de Holyoke. En estas presentaciones se buscará la opinión del público para obtener información sobre cómo los residentes valoran los recursos históricos y culturales de la ciudad. Los comentarios se incorporarán al Plan de Turismo Histórico y Cultural de Holyoke, que se está creando como una enmienda al Plan Estratégico de Turismo de Holyoke recientemente completado. En otras informaciones, el Comité de la Cámara escuchó un testimonio escalofriante y lloroso el martes de que la incesante presión de Donald Trump para revocar las elecciones presidenciales de 2020 provocó amenazas generalizadas a los trabajadores electorales y los funcionarios locales que rechazaron las demandas del presidente derrotado, a pesar de los riesgos personales. El panel que investigó el ataque del 6 de enero de 2021 en el Capitolio de los Estados Unidos se centró en los esfuerzos de Trump para deshacer la victoria de Joe Biden de una manera más local apoyándose repetidamente en los funcionarios públicos en los estados claves del campo de batalla con propuestas impactantes para rechazar las boletas por completo o presentar electores alternativos para el escrutinio final en el Congreso. La presión de alto perfil descrita como potencialmente ilegal fue alimentada por las falsas afirmaciones de fraude electoral del presidente que, según el panel, se extendió peligrosamente en los estados y, en última instancia, condujo directamente a la insurrección mortal en el Capitolio. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. As most of our listeners know, the Supreme Court yesterday decided the case of New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. It was the case that raised the issue about whether the Second Amendment encompasses the right to carry firearms. The Supreme Court decided some years ago that the Second Amendment created an individual right, that those words in the Second Amendment about a well-regulated militia, they're meaningless, they have nothing to do with it, just write them out of the Constitution. Just all you care about in the Second Amendment, according to the majority, was there's a right to bear, keep and bear arms. That's all it says, forget all the rest of the words, they don't matter. They, they, just, they were just surplusage. They just stuck them in there for no reason, notwithstanding the long-standing constitutional law that every word is to be given meaning. But those words, they don't have any meaning whatsoever, five to four. And so this court created 
not a collective right to be in a militia, but an individual right to keep arms in your house for self-defense. Well, wasn't that's what they said. You, can be, you have to be allowed to defend yourself in your house. So it wasn't until the next case, which is this one, came before the court. They said, and it's not just the house, of course. We, you know, of course, that case just dealt with having guns in your house. Now we have to deal with the to keep and bear arms. And you can't bear arms in your house. That means being outside. And so there's the right to bear arms. And therefore, the New York State statute, which said that you have to have cause, you have to show cause to have a uh, right to carry, a permit to carry, um, that's unconstitutional. Uh, the majority opinion is written by Justice Thomas, who says, listen, you don't have to go to anywhere to ask for the right to uh, express yourself. The first, You don't have the, that restriction under the First Amendment or the rights under the Sixth Amendment to various kinds of uh, uh, trial rights. Uh, you just have those rights. So if you can't burden the First Amendment this way, you certainly can't burden the Second Amendment and ask for the government's permission. You have an absolute right to keep and bear arms. Well, not quite absolute, it turns out, but uh, absolute enough for Justice Thomas to create the right and now to expand the right. It's a horrifying opinion by uh, the majority of the court. Uh, it's basically a <clears throat> discussion of history that's pretty interesting. And as the dissent points out, and there is a really, really clear dissent um, from Justice Breyer with uh, three, the three liberal justices dissenting, of course. Um, I think it would be interesting for people to know this. Let me just read the last couple sentences <coughs> excuse me, of the dissent by Justice Breyer because this will show you what a rush the Supreme Court is to make sure this right to bear arms and to open carry is endorsed. Because I think most people think that, of course, there was a trial, there was a decision, it was all thoroughly vetted and explored. Not true. The Supreme Court says, give us this case. Here's what Breyer, Justice Breyer says about that. New York's legislature considered the empirical evidence about gun violence, which he went into at great depth, and adopted a reasonable licensing law to regulate the concealed carriage of handguns in order to keep the people of New York safe. I should pause here to Note that Massachusetts laws are very similar to New York laws, and the Massachusetts laws on gun safety are in real jeopardy today. There is, in fact, a specific mention of those laws in the decision, which says uh, they can be amended so that they could be constitutional, and I can explain that in a minute if you like. Justice Breyer goes on to say, the court today strikes down that law based only on the pleadings. That is the pieces of paper that the lawyers drew it, drafted. Not on any evidence, not on a trial, not on findings of fact, not on a con contest in court, just on what the lawyers wrote, just on the pleadings. It gives the state no opportunity to present evidence justifying its reasons for adopting the law or showing how the law actually operates in practice. And it does not so, it does not so much as acknowledge those important considerations. Nope, nope. We, the Supreme Court, the unelected Supreme Court that was put into place by Republicans denying Barack Obama a hearing on his nominee and forcing through these uh, right-wing justices, nope, nope, that's what, that's who got to decide. Here's his last sentence from Justice Breyer's dissent. Because I cannot agree with the court's decision to strike down New York's law without allowing for discovery or the development of any evidentiary record. Isn't that extraordinary? We're going to change the Constitution in an enormous way without a trial, without discovery, without evidence, without considering the state's compelling interest in preventing gun violence and protecting the safety of its citizens. Those are Justice Breyer's words, the last few. And without considering the potential deadly consequences of its decision. I respectfully dissent. I need a break. We'll be back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. She didn't know how these cameras were going to be used with regards to 
what data could or could not be used. But we know what world we're living in. Things escalate, people don't believe other people. These, this is very commonly used footage that we have. It protects everyone involved so that there's an accurate record of the event. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Winesick Nursery is your local go-to garden center. We've been around since 1954 and we're as local as it gets with 80 acres of homegrown trees, shrubs, plants, flowers, and a retail store. Winesick Nursery wants to be the one you turn to for growing advice, to help you find the perfect tree for that special spot, to be there when you need annuals, flowers, perennials, organic vegetables and herbs for your garden. Winesick Nursery is your best source for soil and for bulk mulch and compost delivered to your driveway. Winesick Nursery is your retail store with garden necessities and gifts like houseplants, tropical plants, and pottery. We can recommend the best seed and fertilizer for your lawn and show you beautiful shrubs and flowering trees. We are the go-to garden center for experienced gardeners. For those who are not, Winesick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and at winesicknursery.com. Learn Spanish, learn French, or German. Learn a language with the International Language Institute. Speaking the language with others who are learning is inspiring. ILI is a PDP provider for the state of Massachusetts and an accredited provider of continuing education units. Learn Spanish, French, German. 10-week part-time classes start June 27th. Sign up online. One of the world's top language schools is right here, the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. My name is Silas Cobb. I'm a furniture designer and I work in East Hampton and rented space in the building owned by Riverside Industries. So I got to rub elbows with the people who are in the program. Went away with a great appreciation for the work that they're doing for supporting people with developmental disabilities. I've become friends with lots of the people in the program over the years. I have employed some of the people with many of the people. We go to a baseball game every year. It's clear to me that Riverside is offering people a reason to get up in the morning. There's a social life surrounding Riverside Industries. People are given a chance to work up to their abilities. People will share their paychecks with me. Not the money, but the amount that they've earned in a week. And there's some great pride surrounding all of that. Maybe setting aside a little money so they can go to that baseball game. Any stigma that I might have attached to them has melted away over the years. People, regardless of those circumstances, are pretty much like I am. We're all very similar. RSI.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is our usual Friday segment with Donna Belcassis, Artbeat. I want to take 10 seconds to say yes. I know there's a lot more to say about that Supreme Court decision from yesterday about guns and rifles and armaments, and we will do that later in the, sh- later in the shows next week. So, Donna Belcassis, it's Artbeat. It's the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. You know, in these uncertain times, a general feeling around the world seems to be hanging in the balance. What keeps us from going off edge? A show called Light Accumulation at Pulp in Holyoke questions this and more. And today I have Ali Osborne who curated the show and Dean Brown, owner and artist at Pulp, join us today. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now, Ali, Ali, you are an artist and also an educator based in Brooklyn, and this is your first curated show. What does light accumulation mean to you? Well, in general, I, I think about this idea of light accumulation in general with respect to art in the way that art is made through the gradual accumulation of marks or brush strokes or ideas and it's kind of the the coalescing of all those things in one place, be that a canvas or um, um, a pedestal, the, these things coming together in that moment at that place create this artwork, which is unique and has some message. The specificity of the show, the, the name for the show has more to do though with this idea of this light accumulation of, of um, qualities that are sort of just barely held in balance. 
Now, speaking of putting things together and creating an artwork, the show is like bringing three artists work together to create this, this idea of what, what's hanging in the balance. Who are the three artists that are showing and what kind of work will we be seeing? The artists are Kelly Hayne, um, Alana Harris-Babu, and Sarah Pater. And they all make different looking art, different materials. Uh, Kelly Hayne makes primarily drawings and there's an animated drawing as well. It's a video that is made of animated drawings. Um, Alana Harris-Babu is a primarily sculptor, but she also makes video and installation as well. And the show includes a wall piece called Pegboard, which are what she calls dysfunctional ceramics. They look like hammers and tools that you might find in a garage, but they're made out of uh, ceramic uh, clay. And if you ever tried to use them, they would surely not function. Uh, and then there's also a video she's made called Finishing a Raw Basement. Uh, Sarah Pater is a painter who works in a traditional format, uh, linen stretched on stretchers or occasionally on panel. And she's creating these um, very strange paintings that look at once peaceful and kind of in the tradition of still life. But the longer you look at them, something else emerges, something sort of eerie and unsettling. Well, you know, just looking at some of the work that I saw um, online, you know, when you think about light accumulation and you're saying the longer you look, things sort of unfold as you're looking. Um, a main characteristic with all of these works is that they're a little unsettling. You know, they 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 in themselves are are sort of beautiful objects, and they're they're quiet and still <clears throat> to some degree. And uh, what is this thing about being unsettled with the work? Well, I guess f for me, my favorite artwork generally involves a degree of ambiguity, meaning it might contain two completely different um, ideas or emotions in the same moment. And I think that when done correctly, or not correctly, sorry, when that's done well, there's this tension. And I think artwork has to have tension um, to hold together. And I guess inherent in that idea of tension is this idea of something, you know, that's kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. <laughs> and it's hard for me to explain it. But I mean, I feel it when I listen to a moving piece of music, you know, there's this at once beautiful feeling, but also something a little um, unsettling occasionally. And, and I think that's that's a powerful combination of things. I just heard there's a definition of what that's called when music sort of makes your hair stand up. It's called frisson. And it's when the, the, the hair just literally stands up because there's something unexpected <clears throat> in the music and it takes you to somewhere, unex, you know, literally out of what you really were in, um, expecting to feel when you're listening to the music and I can see that in the work because you know you're looking at say Sarah's paintings and you see two candlesticks and they look identical but one is slightly shorter and there's a flame and you know you, you're sort of trying to figure out why is one shorter and why why is it in this dark room and the more you look you're just really engrossed with the scenery that she's put in there and you know also with lead accumulation, Dean's show up at the front gallery is actually related to that degree because Dean, you create these incredibly layered graphite drawings on ledger paper uh, with various marks built up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, well, I think it dovetailed with Ali's theme of light accumulation and kind of creating these beautiful images that have some discord. Um, I can't help but uh, place myself in uh, what's happening culturally right now. Um, there's a lot of discord, there's a lot of uncertainty politically. Um, uh, so there's difficult times and I think I've been struggling with how to make sense of my own art. And, um, and so in this particular series, I, I found that I was attracted to creating these patterns that would sort of fall apart. And so I think 
for me, it's also interesting to have both this harmony and beauty that brings you in that might feel serene, but also uh, there's an undercurrent of something happening. And um, so th this particular shade is really was a struggle and I wasn't sure whether or not um, I wanted to show it and had it not been for my wife, I probably wouldn't have. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think making art in this time um, for many artists has been hard, so yeah. You know, I think that's a general sentiment for a lot of people, but I feel like uh, the role of the artist is to really be able to move through that uncertainty and to move through that sort of pain uh, to get to the other side of what's happening in the world. And, you know, the, the, the work in the front gallery, your ledger drawings and the work in the back gallery really do have this harmonious relationship in that way and how do you work through the struggle or how do you show um you know resilience within the work uh and as an, a community of artists as well now how long is this show up dean uh it's up through the 17th of july um, 17th of july what are your hours so people uh, can check it out sunday 11 to 4. 11 to 4. Now, quick question for you, Ali. This is your first curated show. What was that whole experience like? It was uh, challenging, but but really exciting, um, invigorating. It was, uh, you know, I, I worked with these artists, two of whom I didn't know before. And that was, it was a great occasion to um, bring these three people's work together into the same space, which I don't think has ever shared space together. I don't think these artists have shown before together. And it was ultimately really, really rewarding because Dean really gave me a great space to work with. And it's a, it's a special place to visit. Hope is a, is a great space. I hope everybody can check it out. Well, I hope you check it out. If you're listening today, I will definitely go see it. It is called Light Accumulation. It is at Pulp in Holyoke on Ray Street. And it, if you need to sort of take some time and space, go see this show and be with this work. Thank you so much, Ali Osborne and Dean Brown for joining us today and sharing the work with our audience. Thank you. Thank you, Donabelle. And thank you, Donabel Cassis, for bringing us these wonderful, spectacular, talented artists every week. We really, really appreciate you as well. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.